Welcome to Biotalk. My name is Andy Meyerson, Managing Director at Locust Walk, and you're listening to Biotalk, our podcast for biotech dealmakers. Today, I get to sit down with Helen Ho, Chief Business Officer at Blueprint Medicines, a global precision therapy company that invents life-changing medicines in the areas of oncology, hematology, and allergy immunology. Prior to joining Blueprint Medicines, Helen served as Vice President, Head of Corporate Development at TCR Square Therapeutics. She led portfolio strategy, business development, and investor and public relations, which culminated in the closing of $125 million Series B crossover financing. Prior to TCR Square Therapeutics, Helen joined AGS Pharmaceuticals in its early days for almost six years, where she played a broad role in company building, having led the business development licensing function and supported the company's IPO and building of its rare genetic disorders and immuno-oncology franchises. Helen started out her career as a management consultant at Elliott Consulting. She holds a PhD in cell biology from Yale University and a BS in biochemistry from UCLA. Welcome to Biotalk, Helen. Great to be here, Andy. Thanks for having me. Of course, let's dive in. So I always like to start our conversations talking about career path. Uh, when I first asked you to do this podcast, it dawned on me that we've now known each other for almost nine years, if you can believe it. Uh, we first met while you were at Agios, and I was just transitioning out of Gunnarsson, which for those of you who don't know, um, I used to be a startup lawyer here in Boston. Uh, but that was also your, your first job out of LEK, right? Yep. Yeah, so we were both making big career transitions. You out of consulting, me out of, uh, out of a law firm. You'd already made yours, so I was trying to pick your brain for advice along the way, which you were tremendous about. And I'm very appreciative of that. Um, and I've always really, truly enjoyed watching your, your career progress, especially now at Blueprint and the role that you have as a, a CBO. Um, but I mean, going back to the very beginning of your decision-making process, even before the, the PhD and, and everything else, what attracted you to biology? And then what even attracted you to industry once you did finish your, your schooling? Yeah, it's always so interesting to just reflect back to what sparked our interest in our career choices, right? And so the, the how it sparked my interest in uh, biotech actually uh, goes back to the part of the resume that I don't think you, Andy, you even know about. So between undergrad and grad school, I actually worked a couple of years as bench scientist at Allergan. This is back in uh, Allergan, California. And I was working on um, how do you modify the botulinum toxin? I remember that's the main component of uh, Botox um, to potentially affect this half-life so then you can have different applications. And so uh, it was a really fascinating time to be there because uh, as a side note, uh, cosmetics uh, indication just got approved. And so we got a lot of money to do that. But um, that aside, what I observed there um, is that leaders who have deeper understanding of the science, of the disease, of what it takes to generate great scientific data, how long it takes to run experiments uh, even, are more effective leaders um, in our industry, I observed, than those who didn't. Right. By all no mean, I ever felt like you need to have an advanced degree to do that. But those that appreciate that integration of R&D and business, um, I think is really important um, and uh, allow them to make better decisions. So that was some of the observation I had at that time. And so when I decide you know, where to um, go to school after um, Allergan, it was either, you know, I go to business school or a PhD. I decided that I would go to PhD with the option that one, I could become an academic scientist like 
rest of my family have always been, uh, or I can um, have the option to then have that expertise and go into the business of biotech. And so the latter is what uh, I decided to do. And even to this day, I'm really fascinated and we'll talk, uh, we can talk a little bit more about this, the integration of science and business and how, and that continue to just shape the focus of uh, how I work with my colleagues uh, here at Blueprint. How how important do you think the PhD was in your role as you started transitioning into both the corporate dev strategy and then into sort of the biz dev type roles? Because um, I know it's a question that even we get asked all the time here as well. Like, do I need yeah. to be successful here? Is a normal science background enough? Um, yeah. What is your view on that? Just because you've given me so much career advice, even over my own career, I'm just kind of curious how you actually thought about it. I never asked you that question, so I was never going to get a PhD. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and to be honest, at some point, I was like, did I really need to go through the PhD in order to get to where I, I, I am? And, you know, you look at other people who have been working for so long and earning money, and you're still um, a poor uh, student. Um, no, I think my my answer had changed um, over time, and I think that's reflective of how our industry um, has really changed. I think, you no, know, uh, 15, 20 years ago, um, I'm not sure that PhD has value that much on the business side of things. You're a PhD, um, you know, and I remember PhD going into business, it was called an alternative career, right? And I had a I had um, a friend at Yale who got disowned by their supervisor because she decided not to go into uh, academ academia. Um, but but I think over time, and so when I was um, even just a, a grad student or early days of consultant, being a consultant, um, I don't think it's a valued as much. I think it's starting to, right? Like consulting companies like LDK, like BCG and McKinsey are starting to hire PhDs. Um, and then I think over time, pharma is starting to recognize the value of somebody with that deeper scientific expertise. So what I say is that you definitely don't need it. As I mentioned earlier, I know a lot of people who does not have a degree and they know science better than I could um, with a PhD. But I do think that having that pedigree um, has helped me um, in terms of um, that um, and just sharing the same language with the rest of my R&D colleagues. And that has uh, helped me to build a, a really uh, good credibility in what I do. So Blueprint Medicines is one of the fastest growing biotechs at this point in terms of the growth that you've had over the years. Um, but a lot of the roles that you've had before have been really great stepping stones to the role that you now find yourself in, even though you've been progressing your own role at, at Blueprint to get to where you are now. What do you think is sort of the biggest thing that you learned from each of those prior roles along the way that allows you to be successful now that you are at a fully integrated biotech? Yeah, if I think about no, my career path and the advice that I give uh, to, you know, uh, young superstars. Uh, no, career paths are not linear, as we know, right? Um, I think it is a journey to find, um, you know, where we can make the biggest impact um, in our work and in our society. And so, what I uh, what I always share with um, others is is what I think about for my own career. I look at my career as three uh, circles. One is what am I really good at? Uh, the other is what I love doing. 
And the third is how does the intersection of those two take you to where you want to be in your career ambition? Um, if you can find the intersection of those three, that is a really fulfilling job that you should consider, right? It is not about titles and promotion and how quickly you can get to a place, but it's really finding that sweet spot uh, for yourself um, and not what other people expect of you um, either. So that's something that I take to heart. And even just as I continue to advance my career, uh, a simple framework that uh, I reflect on. So simple framework, something you very clearly took from Ellie Kay. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Once the consultant, always the consultant, right? Yeah, of course. Um, I, I'm going to turn to Blueprint, but I, I, just, I wanted to spend some time talking about that just because even though we're peers, I still view you as a mentor myself um, from all the conversations and the lunches that we've had over the years. So um, certainly always appreciate your, your perspective on all of this. Um, so um, fundamentally, what drew you to Blueprint? Right, as we're going to get spend a lot of time talking about the company itself, but what drew you in? Yeah. So I've been at Blueprint for over five and a half years now. Uh, again, time flies. Uh, at the time, really, it just and continues to be as the promise of a company that I believe has the chops to go far. I, I think it's really is about the leadership here. So I knew uh, Kate Haplin, uh, who hired me. Uh, to Blueprint and now the CEO of the company. I knew uh, Jeff Albers, who's our former CEO and now the chairman of our board. And I knew Felina Lee, who is now our chief commercial officer. And she and I actually have been friends for over a decade. Uh, we've known each other. And so um, a lot of uh, confidence and just uh, respect for the leadership here, um, number one. And the second that you know we can talk a lot more about is just the promise of the platform. Right. There are a lot of platform companies, but even in the early days of Blueprint, I think it's probably about five years old uh, by then, we have been able to leverage the platform and translate that into clinical benefit in patients across a number of programs. And that is not you know, uh, something that you see all the time. And what I saw was a platform, even though the, the focus was on kinases that allows you to really expand both modality wise, as well as from a therapeutic area standpoint. And so a combination of that, that get me really excited about a company that I can help to grow in the long run. And that really is my passion, right? There's a lot of different companies out there, but I love to, to be a company builder. And this seems like a really great opportunity for, for me to be able to do that and contribute. So when you originally joined, you were VP of corporate development and eventually over time got promoted to CBO. Um, you mentioned Kate Havland, who's the CEO. She used to be the CBO, then the CEO, and then the CEO. So what is it like stepping into a role knowing that your CEO used to be in the same role? Yeah, um, big shoes to fill, for sure. Yeah, um, yeah. Many of us uh, know, know Kate. She is a brilliant leader. So um, that's what I would say about that. Um, when I first joined Blueprint, uh, my key responsibilities are really across driving our corporate strategy, uh, the long-term vision of the company, along with the rest of the executive team, um, as well as uh, business development. And at that time, business development is much more focused on, and we'll continue to focus on partnering, right, the sell side of things. And so, um, but what's been really exciting and uh, really being an awesome experience here 
as a CBO over the last year and a half is um, the the addition of portfolio leadership and management to my role, right? So if you think about my current role as uh, you know helping to drive corporate strategy and think about how that informs business development as a tool to optimize and drive the portfolio, and then portfolio management. Like how do we think about me as a chair of the portfolio management team, how do we think about program decisions, the gates that uh, we would put in place in terms of where do we invest and how, what the bar that we set for our program and how do we think about that prioritization across the portfolio. Um, and so that really is informing um, each other in terms of those three pillars. And so for me, it's been um, a, a really exciting expansion of um, my, my tenure here at Blueprint and I would say, you know, in up to, you know, a couple of years ago, a lot of my work is still more focused on the strategy side, which will never go away, but a broader appreciation for the operational side of things, right? Like the people always come to me and say, well, I want to get into strategy. I said, what is strategy if you don't know how to execute? And execution <laughs> is so critical for all the company. Um, it's not the sexiest thing for people, but I'm fascinated by how do you execute well as a company. And so in my role now, I have the ability to really um, you know, continue to optimize that as we continue to grow as a company. Um, and so uh, so it's, it's been a, a great learning for me and uh, a great way for me to contribute to the company. So part of what you were mentioning is a lot of the the changes that have been happening at Blueprint over the last five and a half years, from even when you first joined, uh, to being mid-stage clinical, essentially, to now being full commercial stage company, multiple drug approvals, uh, global collaborations with big pharmas, and, and lots of other things, even acquiring things now. And so it's completely shifted the nature of what the company is from a company perspective, what do you think is the most challenging aspect of going through these various corporate milestones to now the point that you are looked at as potentially a partner of choice even for some of the smaller yeah. biotechs, which is what you were not that long ago? Yeah, no, it's uh, it's been incredible to see and just reflect on the growth, right? As I was preparing for our conversation here, um, I look back to when I joined a company that was April 2018, we only actually have about 150 people. Uh, and uh, everybody was in our headquarters in Cambridge in Massachusetts. And today we're just shy of 650 people. And that's across U.S., including field um, and remote employees and uh, uh, folks in Europe. Um, where we have about 10% of FTEs there. And so, yeah, to your point, Andy, um, it's been a tremendous growth. Um, but, you know, also the recognition that company building of this size is definitely not for the faint of heart, right? Um, and so I think, I mean, as I think about what are some of the key challenges for companies of our stage, I think um, I think of two, two areas. One, as I just mentioned, execution gets harder. Um, the bigger that you are, right? Um, another stats, we went from about 25 functional teams uh, about six years ago to 40 today, right? And so that, and now we're in different geographies. And so communication by osmosis that we are also used to um, when we're much smaller um, 
is not as relevant, right? It's helpful. And we're trying to get people to come back in uh, post pandemic. But um, the level of context that people, our employees have is very different. And so the altitude of how you explain things and the, 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 the why behind the decisions become really important. And so at Blueprint, we are putting a very proactive effort behind communication to make sure that senior leaders all have that enterprise mindset and so that they can trickle those down, um, the why and the hows uh, down to their organization. So I think you know that is really important. I, I you know, myself and my team um, spend a lot of effort um, in thinking about that. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the other um, you know, difference um, that is very obvious at this stage of our company is the spotlight on revenue growth. Yeah. Um, yeah. As a revenue, a, a newly revenue generating company. Um, how we're valued today is pretty different from uh, where, where you know, when we were a research or a clinical stage company, right? And so, so now there is a stronger expectation, quarter by quarter, um, what that trajectory looked like. But there's also broader spotlight on how we are making smart investment um, choices across the business um, and with the resources that we have. And so prioritization um, becomes really important and uh, become uh, something that we need to uh, manage, uh, not only internally, but also externally, right, in terms of managing the, the street expectation. And so I think those two things are um, are critical challenges that you know we need to proactively work through. And then the last one, to your point on business development, um, that will continue to be a big part of our corporate strategy. Mm-hmm. As I mentioned, when I joined um, six years ago, um, we have always been very active in partnering um, for uh, things that no longer necessarily fit within our strategy. We will divest to extract the value, hoping that it will, in the right hands, it will um, help the patients down the road um, and also create value for us. But um, also, um, notably, the Roche uh, Gavaretto deal that we did um, over two years ago now brought out, brought in uh, a front of almost $800 million, and that really transformed the company. And so, you know, for me, business development um, will continue to be the tool of optimizing our portfolio, right? It's not just the financing, but how do you work with pharma to really attract uh, maximal value for the program and for the benefit of the patient. But also a couple of years ago, we're starting to swing to the other side of things, which is uh, buy-side business development. And Andy, you and I have talked about uh, a lot of different interesting areas that we could uh, think about. And so um, so a couple of years ago, we started our buy-side um, activity with uh, acquisition and Lango, um, which is now an EGFR program that's in the clinic. And we also did a research stage collaboration with ProdeoVan and Van AI to go after targeted protein degradation. And so this is a shift um, in, in our strategy to say, hey, not only do we think about partnering, which we'll continue to do depending on the program, but also how do we really uh, capitalize on the innovation outside of the walls of blueprint uh, to do something um, uh, really complementary to what we are doing internally. So I think that combination will continue to be really powerful. So I have a question, which apologies is a little bit off script, but I just thought of it. And it's everything you're talking about, the transition, the blueprint into becoming this fully integrated company that you are 
essentially graduating into becoming sort of potentially on the path towards a cell gene type entity, right? Or the Gileads or the graduated biotechs that later on became more known as like a big pharma. Um, at around the same time, you had a peer that went a different route, um, a very direct peer in terms of, of Loxo, which ended up getting bought. And so if you think back to around the time when there's the typical decision-making time of a biotech, do I carry forward myself versus do I want to contemplate exits or anything else along those routes? What was that internal discussion like to the extent that you can share, because certainly don't share anything you shouldn't, um, but how do you sort of make that determination that the best thing for us and we have so much belief in ourselves that we should go off and forward integrate and become our own organization? Yeah, I think it really is a great question. I think this is um, in part the, you know, what's in our DNA as leader of the organization, right? I think going back to the reason that I joined Blueprint is that, you know, I wanted to be in a company that one, has the 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 foundation to really build. Not all the companies are built for that. Blueprint is. Um, so number one, but also the people, like the leaders that want to build, knowing that building is not easy. Again, this is there are uh tough roads and decisions that we all have to make um to really grow to you know, I use Vertex as a great example yeah. of somebody that really made it in a very successful manner. Um, and, you know, for, for us, it is, again, we'll always have the fiduciary duty to do what's best for the shareholders. But at the same time, I think we have the, as a company, the phenotype and the secret sauce and foundation to really build for the long term. And I think that's what differentiates Blueprint from some of the other companies, right? And so as I think about we now have a product or two products on the market. Mm -hmm. What we're wholly owning is Ava Kit, which is the first therapy approved for this debilitating mast cell disorder, mm -hmm. systemic mastocytosis. We're marketing that in the US, we're marketing that in Europe. And and you know, through that, we're going from hematology, oncology into allergy immunology, right? And so the opportunity that we have here to expand upon the foundation on AvaKit is tremendous, right? So that's really exciting for us to want to continue to build on that. Oncology was to think about the pipeline that we're building with uh, you know, lung cancer programs, uh, including the one that we acquired from Lingo and a CDK2 inhibitor program to go after broad breast cancer. I think there are a lot of cars that are yet to flip over the next six to 12 months that I think uh, allow us to really build even further value creation for the company. And so that I think, you know, for us, it's a really exciting stage of the company. And this is just the early waves of the building of the company that could, you know, be farther expanded uh, with what we have uh, today. So with all those activities and with such growth of the team, how do you stay focused on the primary corp dev goals? So yeah, especially yeah. I mean, protein degradation is different from what you're doing before. How do you remain on track? Yeah, I think, again, I'll go back to execution and prioritization. Like none of us have unlimited resources to do everything that we wanted to do. And so how do we be really disciplined on identifying what are the programs that move forward? 
that we believe is going to truly be transformative for patients and which are not and make those ruthless decisions and really discipline on the teams following through on that. So, you know, I know that we talk a good amount on that. Um, but the other one I'll add is uh, business development, right? As I, I said, we have have a very productive research uh, pipeline and a research engine under uh, the leadership of Percy Carter, who is our CSO. Mm-hmm. And so we'll continue to leverage that and we can talk about uh, the targeted protein degradation that we went into. Um, but also throughout our history, as I said, you know, we uh, have been very active in business development. Um, altogether, our efforts from the partnering has brought in over a billion dollar in capital for the company. Right. And so I think continue to think about how do we optimize the portfolio with BD as a tool um, will continue to serve us uh, really, uh, really well. So I think focus is uh, a key theme um, here, right? Like how do you think about the balance of the focus as well as diversification? And so that's something that we discuss a lot within our executive team, how to strike that balance. So even within BD, you mentioned this already, that Blueprint's been through a tremendous transition where you went from being a seller to being a buyer. Um, which isn't easy. A lot of folks who are always sellers don't really know how to buy. Yeah. Right? They always think of their seller experience and suddenly when they're at the side of the table, it doesn't work and it works the other way too. Buyers don't always know how to sell. Uh, and so to be a group that can do both simultaneously is a real skill set. So for instance, even the farmers are not traditionally known as being particularly good at selling. They're very good at buying, right? But you operate in the middle. And so how how has that transition been? Is it through key hires? Is it just sort of been just reorienting yourself and just trying to think about how do I do this in the most effective way? And then we'll transition into some of the moves that you have made, such as into targeted protein degradation, since that's yeah. as well. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad that you asked this question because not a lot of people realize how different um, and how much of a mindset shift it is. Not necessarily for individual, like a lot of us have done sort of both, but as as an organization, and yeah. and I think about that a lot because to your point, it is not uh, it is not uh, straightforward. Um, the difference that I see is you know just from you know, from your mentality, right? Of it is comfortable to offload uh, risk to a pharma and get money in. It is a very different mindset to take on the risk without knowing all the data necessarily um, uh, and paying a lot of money for it, right? And so that is uh, that is a big mindset shift for the company. Um, and I think the way that we are able to transition, you know, I really owe it to um, our leadership, including our R&D leader. So, Fuan Mooney, who's our president of R&D, Percy, as I mentioned, and Becker Hughes, who's our CMO, their openness um, in working with me in business development and the rest of the exec team to really focus on that effort, right? And our board, who is supportive and to say, hey, you know what? We are not at the stage that we have a gap, like we don't have a gap in our portfolio, but you know, there are things that we could do to to bring things in, right? To and leveraging the expertise that we have. And so I think number one, it's just you gotta want to do it. Yeah. You gotta have that mindset that, you know, we are, you know, not everything has to happen within the wall of the company, right? That 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 not not invented here syndrome. We 
we talk a lot about not only we don't have it, but that the, the rest of the organization don't have it. And I think one of the things that I think we've done well is that, again, going back to why I came into this industry is that R&D and BD integration. We work towards one goal, which is a great portfolio. However you get there, I don't care, right? Like I have in, in instances uh, previously where by side BD, we got some ideas and we realized that we could, you know, this is something that we already have in house. Like we will do it, you know, one way or the other, whichever is the better uh, way to do it. But I think, you know, we got to want to do it. We got to have that, you know, have the, the, the mindset that, you know, we can learn a lot from um, other people. Um, and I think it is also just to, to, to level set the rest of the organization, um, that they play a part in it. So during diligence, we will have our, um, experts, right, come in and be part of that process. It's not just, this is the BDE project. This is internal. Like they're part of the experts that make this, uh, happen. And so this is a collective effort. So Blueprint started focusing on kinase inhibition. You've now, through a, a transaction, have built out a capability within targeted protein degradation. How has that worked? You mentioned buying into the R&D groups and making sure everybody's sort of rolling in the same direction, but how has that really started to progress now that you're adding drugs that are different, right, from everything else that's been in the pipeline to date, although still obviously related? Um, but how, how's that been, work been going so far? Yeah, um, it's a really exciting uh, new area for us at Blueprint. So um, we started this about a year and a half ago. Um, this started with the Proteo Van Van AI collaboration on um, on a certain select, selected targets, um, but also with the internal um, platform build um, that we have here um, for other targets, right? And so we're still pretty new to this. And I I would say I've been pretty surprised and impressed by the progress that we have made. Um, at that time, when we were deciding if this is something that we wanted to go into, there's this question around, well, there are so many other companies out there that are completely dedicated to this. But you know, I think um, our scientific leadership made the argument, and they were right about this, which is that the small molecule expertise, the library that we have, the, the inhibitor approach uh, technology that we have in-house is going to accelerate how we do targeted protein degradation and do it in a way that's different from other people, right? And so, so the, the targeted protein degradation that we're doing is uh, the bifunctional molecule, right? And so it has the target binder. And so that's the small molecule part of it that we're really good at. And so, you know, over time, like over the last year and a half, we have made a good amount of progress where we think we're going to get to development candidate from this effort pretty quickly yeah. because of the, the synergy that we're able to, 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 to leverage. And I think this is actually a really good example of how we think about expanding. Now, one of the things that, you know, we started to, to share, um, at JP Morgan earlier this year is our goal, um, our vision um, to get to 2027, but how do we uh, think about an approach that we call precision at scale, right? This is a good example. There are other examples um, as well in terms of how we leverage the AVA kit um, 
uh, expertise there. But this is one where we have built a foundation, we have built a capability and expertise. How do you expand and diversify just a concentric circle from that um, to allow us to do better? And so, uh, so yeah, it's a, it's an it's exciting time um, for us to to expand because to your point, Andy. We are known and we're continuing to be mostly known as a kinase inhibitor company, which is not wrong. Like most everything that we that's publicly disclosed are kinases. But I think targeted protein degradation now allow us to think about different way of targeting those in targets, but also to go into the broader set of uh, target classes that we haven't explored before. So that's really exciting for the company. Very interesting. So maybe taking a Zooming out a little bit from from Blueprint per se, looking more at the the broader landscape, one of the things that you mentioned before was the shift in how the company is valued, where it's less on the promise and more in the actual revenue, which yeah. is both disconcerting sometimes for for biotech because you're so used to one thing to have to deal with a shift that's completely outside of your control is um, is, uh, is is a challenge, but the last two plus years where the biotech industry has been in a, in a downturn or a winter or whatever it is you want to use to, to talk about it in terms of access to capital, et cetera. It's actually an interesting time that you went through this shift to suddenly be viewed off of revenue versus off of promise, which is then dependent on future growth in a different type of way off of value creation. And so how has that shift of commercialization actually helped you or not helped you navigate sort of the, we'll call it the dislocations that we're currently seeing within biotech. Yeah, no, I, I think it, it definitely has helped us, right? I think this is, you know, as I said earlier, becoming a revenue generating company um, has its interesting shifts in how we, how we position ourselves as a company, how we are valued, but especially in this downturn, right? Having our own source of revenue becomes really critical. And I think that's the the um, the position of strength that we're in, right? I think, you know, this, it's been hard for a lot of companies that are platform, right? Some, some are really innovative, a platform that, you know, warrants funding, but it's hard if you couldn't get to that proof of concept in the clinic or that to, de to demonstrate that your platform can translate into um, even leads, right? And so um, the, the mix of the portfolio that we have that is generating revenue as well as pipeline that is uh, starting to get validated through uh, clinical uh, data, I think um, help us to navigate um, the current downturn, I think uh, better than some of the earlier stage companies. So, um, you know, so I, I think timing couldn't have been better, um, but not to not to undermine all of our, yeah. you know, all of how important it is, if you will, um, to be continue to be so disciplined in prioritization, right? Uh, focusing on what's really uh, the most important value driver for the company. And that means even for, for us and others that you need to make some tough decisions. Right? You need to set a really high bar for what program do you move forward. Um, uh, OPEX is really critical. And so I would say, you know, as I think about some of the 
the the company is an earlier stage company. Uh, one thing I would say is that you got a scenario plan early, right? It's all about optionality, and I think for companies that, you know, again, we're all entrepreneurs. We have optimism. You believe that your things could work. You could do all of that at the same time to think about what is the downside scenario to your programs and how do you manage that through this downturn? Again, nothing new and what we need to do as um, company builders, right. but even more critical at this stage because the longer that you wait, the fewer options that you have, um, right? And the less time that you have to make those triggers and those changes. Yeah, we always say you expect success but plan for the worst. Right, exactly, exactly. Yeah. Um, so not to give away some of the magic of the podcast, we're recording this on August 29th of 2023. And the reason why I'm saying the specific date is because today was the day that the government first published the list of the 10 drugs being covered under the uh, Inflation Reduction Act, um, which has an outsized impact on biopharma slash biotech in general. Um, and it's a symptom of some of the political headwinds that we're starting to see within the industry per se, but in particular, there are potentially larger impacts on a company like Blueprint that focuses on small molecules given the disparate treatment between small molecules and biologics underneath the legislation as it exists today, at least. And so how has this actually impacted in some ways how you're thinking about things? You hear a lot about the pharma response to the IRA and the pharma is obviously the groups that are going after the uh, the constitutional arguments as to whether or not this this law should stand um, but for for growing biotech at a time you're trying to generate revenue yourself how does that just enter into even your thought process for forward planning from a corp dev perspective knowing that all you do at least today has been small molecules yeah such a timely question uh, i feel like everybody opened their email to see what are the top 10 drugs that are getting hit um yeah from our perspective in the near term we don't believe that we will be impacted right um so from an ava kit perspective um if we it's an orphan drug and you know we'll, we think that we'll continue to be uh will protect it there but our team and our my market access colleague provides update on the regular basis on how things are changing and so part of what we're doing here is to stay really close to all the turns of the event um, as this continue to evolve right and so i think in some ways um, it is it feels a little bit early to think about exactly how it is going to affect us in the long term, but something that we think about um, for our program. Um, and to the extent that, you know, even in our, so going back to the CDK2 program that is in uh, phase one right now, it is going to be a big program uh, once it, you know, it, you know if it's uh, the science workout. This is for, as I mentioned, breast cancer um, yep. and has the potential to be combined with uh, CDK46 inhibitor in the front line. And so when you think about that, that is a multi-blockbuster yeah. um, opportunity that we assume is going to get hit by IRA uh, based on what we know today. And so how do we think about 
the the sequence of the the indications uh, there uh, is something that we will start to take into account. Um, but you know, again, like in the early days, like we also try not to make drastic uh, changes, um, you know, as a lot of things uh, will continue to evolve uh, over time. But we're watching this closely. So maybe as we, we start to wrap up the conversation, even with the biotech downturn, even with the, the consequences that we're about to see what happens over the next couple of weeks with, uh, with the IRA, um, to you, what are your three biggest reasons to remain optimistic about biotech and the future of drug development? Yeah, I think technologies um, will continue to uncover new ways to address diseases, right? Um, we talk about targeted protein degradation. The ADCs um, has made significant stride in our in oncology, RNA therapies. And so despite the funding issues that we're facing, like we you know, the, the the industry, everything is cyclical, right? And so I believe that we as an industry, and maybe another reason to be optimistic is that, you know, it's not the first time we 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 gone through this, right? The last time I think it was 2016 and before that 2008 in the very early stages of my my career. Like we've gone through this. And so I think you know, we as an industry has been and will continue to be resilient in overcoming these uh, downturns and to manage the cyclical nature of everything from the, the the economy to technology, right? Technology, the excitement of that and the promise of that goes in and out and, and the regulatory policies, right? Which we didn't talk a lot about, but that is also changing. And so, so I think, you know, the optimism in me is that we've gone through these things are cyclical. And so it's just really about looking at what we have and how do you make those uh, decisions um, to create value for, for our patient, for our, um, for our, um, our uh, uh, shareholders. And then the other things that, that I'm optimistic on, and I think it has evolved so much over time, and the patient's voices are being heard uh, today more than I think it has ever um, previously. Understanding the patient journeys directly from them help us to do better drug development, better clinical trials, um, leveraging patient medical records, partnering with patient advocacy to help us uh, to 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 address their needs like those are the things that we do a lot at blueprint um and i think that partnership hopefully will continue to grow but that is a another really important ingredient to doing what we do helen thank you so much for joining me today um as always really enjoyed the conversation it's good to see you at the chat with you it's good to see you um really enjoyed learning more about both your journey and everything about the Oregon bench scientist piece I thought your career sort of started at the PhD level, uh, but then also learning more about Blueprint and, and the changes that are have happened, continue to happen at the company and the bright future that you all have uh, going forward. So thank you, Helen. Thank, <laughs> thank you so much, Andy. Yeah, thanks for having me. It's uh, been a pleasure um, having this conversation with you and uh, I will see you soon. No, absolutely. And I want to thank everyone for listening to this episode of BioTalk. We look forward to continuing a productive dialogue on our next episode. Please share with all your friends and colleagues so we can continue to grow the audience. This is Andy Meyerson for Biotalk, signing off. <laughs>